service. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. Hey guys, excited to be in your feeds today talking about Harrison Ford, but just give you a heads up that over in the Disgraceland feed, we have parts one and two of an archive episode on the Beach Boys, both available for you right now. In our new kids show, Music Land Stories, which is a collaboration here at Double Elvis with Starglow Media, episode four just dropped in that show's feed after a week off for the holidays. Check it out. All right, let's talk some movies. Badlands listeners, are you here? Are you with me? Are you too tired to go to bed? Too riled up to stay home? I know I am. This is another podcast that comes after the podcast. Welcome to Badlands. The rap party. Welcome to the Badlands bonus episode, another thing we like to call the rap party. Just like that other show, this is a show that comes after the show, a voyage from one episode of Badlands to the other, the back lot breakdown of sorts. On this bonus episode, we are talking about Harrison Ford, plus my recommendations in your movie-focused voicemails, texts, DMs, and more Badlands listeners. Let's get into it. Happy New Year, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the rap party. Let's dive right in to Harrison Ford. Who is cooler than Harrison Ford? Is he one of the last great movie stars? I mean, like a movie star in the old school way. The guy's done it all. He's done it in a way that seems effortless. Indiana Jones, Han Solo, just incredibly iconic characters super versatile actor throughout all the 80s and into the 90s, still working to this day, had one of the most hilarious and badass reactions to David Blaine's magic, but I digress. He didn't even get his first major role until he was like 30 or 31 years old, okay? Before that, Harrison Ford was working all kinds of odd jobs in Hollywood to make ends meet. 
He was a photographer for Jim Morrison and the Doors. He was a carpenter who worked on the houses of James Caan and Joan Didion. He slung weed, brutal weed, they called it, to Michelle Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas. And all before his acting career even took off. Imagine this life. And I'm not talking just about the life of a famous Hollywood actor, but of a guy who's on the margins, the edges of all this Hollywood action, seeing how it works from the outside. It's a crazy story, and it's all in our brand new episode of Badlands. 617-906-6638. Call me, let me know what you think of the Harrison Ford episode. Send me a voicemail, send me a text, hit me up on X, hit me up at Pod on Instagram, DisgracelandPod at gmail.com on the old emails. All right, so... I was thinking today, I don't know why, I was thinking this morning before I got into this episode, I was thinking about what I was going to say to you guys. And uh, by the time you will have heard this, I will have seen the new Bradley Cooper movie, The Maestro. I haven't seen it yet. I know it's going to be fucking phenomenal. I can tell by the trailers. And I just know Bradley Cooper has now ascended to this rare status with filmmaking professionals or really just creatives in general in my head, right? Like some musicians, some actors, they hit this point where it doesn't matter what they do, I'm going to consume it. I don't care if people say it's the worst piece of garbage on the planet, I'm going to consume it just because I have so much respect for these artists. Um, Jack White's one of these people. I don't like a lot of what Jack White has done, and I don't love, I should say, a lot of what Jack White has done in the last few years, but I'm still here for it. I'm still going to check it out. Everything he does, I'm going to check out. He's earned that. He's that great of an artist in my eyes. Same goes with Bradley Cooper. I thought A Star is Born was phenomenal. I think it's a perfect movie. It's one of those movies that is super emotional, yet it's super economic in how it delivers the information, the emotional information. And even though it's super bleak, it's completely watchable over and over again for me. And I think that's a testament to just how powerful of a filmmaker Bradley Cooper has become. So I don't know much about Leonard Bernstein, but still, I am super excited to see this film. And I came across, I'm not going to get into it, but I came across a bad review of this film this morning as I was cruising the internet. Uh, It wasn't wasn't too, too bad, but it was bad. And it got me thinking about bad reviews of great films from the past. So I started looking some of them up, okay? And I started particularly looking at uh, Pulp Fiction and The Godfather. Two of the most, um, how do I say this? Two of the best, I guess. Just the greatest films of all time, in my mind. If you're of my age, my generation, these movies mean different things to me for different reasons. I think The Godfather is probably my favorite movie of all time. And Pulp Fiction might be the greatest film of all time. It came and it just it, it just completely obliterated the cultural landscape. It changed movies forever. It changed culture in a way that I'd never seen to that point with filmmaking. I'd seen it in music up to that point, but not in filmmaking. So I started wondering, you know, what there's got to be some bad reviews, some Pulp Fiction bad reviews. And of course, you know, I was actually surprised to see there's a ton of recent think pieces that just slam Pulp Fiction and just slam Quentin Tarantino. And I'm not going to get into the reasons why they're whatever. You can make up your own mind on them. But The Godfather, strangely enough, hard to find a bad review. 
I did find one that I'll get to in a second, but going back to Pulp Fiction here, this is from Roger Ebert, and I thought you guys would appreciate this. This is from Roger Ebert, who, of course, great famous filmmaker, October 14th, 1994. Mind you, this is a good review, okay? I'm not trying to misrepresent what Roger Ebert thought of Pulp Fiction or Quentin Tarantino, but he writes, this is the first sentence, Quentin Tarantino is the Jerry Lee Lewis of cinema a pounding performer who doesn't care if he tears up the piano as long as everybody is rocking. His new movie, Pulp Fiction, is a comedy about blood, guts, violence, strange sex, drugs, fixed fights, dead body disposal, leather freaks, and a wristwatch that makes a dark journey down through the generations. First of all, great writing. Second of all, Jerry Lee fucking Lewis and Quentin Tarantino. I'm so mad that I didn't make that. I didn't make that connection. Third, and that's the part I thought you guys would dig. Third, I just want to read this. As a guy who thinks a lot about how to connect what he creates to an audience, that guy being me, <laughs> I'm really all about the simplicity of things. Disgraceland is a music and true crime podcast. That's it. That's fucking it. Disgraceland, dark stories about icons. Okay, that's another way of saying it. These are very simple explanations. And I like to think that, uh, you know, I'm drawn to the more edge of your seat type of storytelling. And that's partly Quentin Tarantino and uh, Martin Scorsese's fault. And I don't fault them for it. I should say it's to their credit. But to that point, to the simplicity of explaining things, Again, I want to read this sentence from Roger Ebert about what Pulp Fiction is. Pulp Fiction is a comedy about blood, guts, violence, strange sex, drugs, fixed fights, dead body disposal, leather freaks, and a wristwatch that makes a dark journey down through the generations. I read that in 1994, even without any knowledge of who Quentin Tarantino is, without seeing any trailer, without having seen Reservoir Dogs and been waiting like, you know, a salivating dog to see Pulp Fiction, without any of that context. If I read that sentence again, Pulp Fiction is a comedy about blood, guts, violence, strange sex, drugs, fixed fights, dead body disposal, leather freaks, and a wristwatch that makes a dark journey down through the generations. I'm telling you, I'm fucking in. I'm there on opening night. I'm up front, not too far up front, but I'm up front. I got a good seat, probably on the aisle, and I've got my popcorn. I'm ready just based on that description. And something tells me you guys are ready as well, okay? I'm not going to get into the bad reviews of Pulp Fiction. I'm not going to get into the recent criticism of Pulp Fiction. I addressed that earlier, but I do want to read this bad review concerning The Godfather. It's from The New Republic by Stanley Kaufman, April 1st, 1972. And it's basically, I don't know, 2000 words shitting on Marlon Brando. And here we go. Now, there's a reason I'm reading you this, which I'll get to later. But first of all, just for the context, here we go. Okay. Titled, The Godfather in the Decline of Marlon Brando. Stanley Kaufman, April 1st, 1972, The New Republic. Hurricane Marlin is sweeping the country, and I wish it were more than hot air. A tornado of praise, cover stories, and huzzas, blasts out the news that Brando is giving a marvelous performance as Don Corleone and The Godfather. The lapsed great actor 
has regained himself, and so on. As a Brando watcher for almost 30 years, I'd like to agree. But from his opening line with his back toward us, Brando betrays that he hasn't even got the man's voice under control. Listen to the word first, pure Brando, not Corleone. Insecurity and assumption streak the job from then on. They have put padding in his cheeks and dirtied his teeth. He speaks hoarsely and moves stiffly, and these combined mechanics are hailed as great acting. I don't see how any gifted actor could have done less than Brando does here. (laughs) Jeez, man. His resident power, his sheer innate force has rarely seemed weaker. His gift of mental transformation. All right, I'm going to stop. You know what? I think this guy, I don't know what his sexuality was, and I'm not criticizing it, but I think he was in love with a certain type of Marlon Brando, and when he didn't get it for The Godfather, he was pissed about it. Because this criticism is fucking ridiculous. It's just, again, if you saw The Godfather in a vacuum, knowing nothing about it, and you just saw Brando's performance, you would think it was credible as this unique character that you come upon in life who may be in this unique position of running a major crime family. I don't understand. What did he want? Stanley from On the Waterfront? Excuse me, from Streetcar Named Desire? What, what did this guy want? It's, uh, it's, I don't know. It just goes to show the critics are bullshit. And I talk to so many people who are like, yeah, but that movie got bad reviews. I'm like, who gives a fuck what the reviews said? What did you think? You know what I mean? Come on. We all know this. I'm preaching to the choir. I don't even know why I'm talking. Oh, Bradley Cooper in The Maestro. That's right. I have not seen it yet. I'm not going to let that bullshit I read on the internet stop me. Of course, that's not the point. I just thought it would be a fun way in to trying to fuck with some old bad reviews of The Godfather and Pulp Fiction. Listen, Harrison Ford, he's made some great films. All right. We all know this. Talked about it at the top of the show, right? When we come back, we're going to talk about Harrison Ford and some music that he was connected to. All right, we are back. Listen, let's get into the music connection of this week's episode. Right here, right now. Let's do it. Harrison Ford. You don't think music when you think of Harrison Ford. I know you don't. I don't. Few do. But when you hear this episode, just like when you heard the Phil Hartman episode, you're going to get the music connection. I mentioned this at the top, uh, our full episode this week. It's just too good not to talk about some more. Harrison Ford toured, toured with Jim Morrison in the doors as their photographer and roadie. Okay, that is fucking wild. This is circa 1968 when the Doors were not only one of the biggest bands in the world, but were making a tour documentary called Feast of Friends. That's so Jim Morrison, Feast of Friends. I bet he was like in a cannibalism phase at that point. Here's a quote anyways from Harrison Ford about this experience. He said, when it was over, I was one step away from joining a Jesuit monastery. I thought it was cool. I thought it was hip, but I couldn't keep up with those guys. It was too much. Oh, I love it. I'm going to have more on this, uh, if that's even possible. I'm probably going to do some videos regarding Harrison Ford and his time on the road with the Doors. But let's look at a handful of Harrison Ford's movies. And by handful, I mean bucketful. Uh, I got to say, it's a 
It's one of the greatest decade-plus stretches of all time for an actor. 73, American Graffiti. 74, The Conversation. 77, Star Wars. 79, Apocalypse Now. Tiny role, but still. 1980, Empire Strikes Back. 81, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Damn, 82, Blade Runner. 83, Return of the Jedi. 84, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom. 85, Witness fucking great 86 the mosquito coast hasn't have not seen that 88 working girl i have seen that it's great 89 indiana jones and the last crusade 1990 presumed innocent awesome 1992 patriot games awesome 93 the fugitive awesome 94 clear and present danger holy shit 97 air force one i could have done without that 2000 what lies beneath 2008 indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull 2015, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. 2017, Blade Runner. 2049, 2023, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And I think he's on some Yellowstone shit right now as well. 617-906-6638, the dumb question of the week could not be any dumber. What is your favorite Harrison Ford movie? You can only pick one. I want to know what it is. 617-906-6638 on the voicemail and text. Speaking of which... Let's uh, check out some of your some of your VMs and some of your texts right here. 617-906-6638. Let's do a quick text right here from the 403. Mike here from the 403. I haven't seen a lot of episodes of Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations, but my first was the U.S. Desert. One after I heard that Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age was in it and made me want to visit the Joshua Tree area. I've seen that episode. It's fantastic. There's also a Christmas episode with Josh Homme and Queens of the Stone Age visiting Anthony Bourdain at his house in Connecticut. I've visited Joshua Tree. It's incredible. I bring up Mike's text here from the 403 because I am deep into the research of an Anthony Bourdain episode that will not be a Badlands episode. It will be a Disgraceland episode, which brings me to the point that, guys, I have a strong inclination that I am circling around a decision that I may, in fact, make up my mind at some point in the very near future to do something pretty monumental. I think the Badlands episodes are going to end up in the Disgraceland feed. I think that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be all one show. I think that's where we're going. Okay. Okay. 617-906-6638. Let me know what you think. Guys, I'm recording. I'm going to be totally frank with you. I'm recording this episode three days before Christmas. And uh, I'm doing that so I can take some time off around Christmas and chill with my family and not have to worry about recording. And what's happening here is all your voicemails and all your texts are Christmas related, but you're going to be hearing this after Christmas. You see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? 617-906-6638. People are very excited, not just about Christmas, but about Anthony Bourdain. This one from the 641, regular listener of Disgraceland and Badlands, full disclosure. I don't typically listen to bonus episodes, but when I saw the word Bourdain and the new one, I was in. Huge fan. There you go. We're getting into this. You guys are going to be pumped, I think. I hope. I hope. We'll try and do it justice. You know, writing the Anthony Bourdain episode, researching it anyways, it's it's a lot of fun, first and foremost. But it's a little difficult because he's such a fantastic writer in writing about himself. It's hard to discern where and when to sort of stick my point of view you know, it's, he's got a point of view and it's very strong. So it's, uh, I don't know what's going to come of this episode, but I'm pretty pumped to write it and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. That'll be coming 
I think end of February, that's when we're going to launch, uh, which what will be our, our 2024 season. I believe where we're going guys is we're going to have, like I said, one feed and, um, we're going to go from this sort of multi-season per year thing to just a, every year you have a season of episodes and, uh, we're calling this one the icon series and it's feeling like it's going to be, uh, a lot of great music, mostly music, but some heavy hitters, some rock and roll writers, chefs, Anthony Bourdain, uh, Hunter S. Thompson, William S. Burroughs, artists, Andy Warhol, uh, some athletes, I think Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, but it's still lots of music, lots of rock and roll attitude, even in subjects that aren't necessarily about musicians. I want to know what you guys think about all this. 617-906-6638, voicemail and text. And of course, on Instagram at DisgracelandPod. I'm going to take a quick break. Back in a flash. All right, we are back. 617-906-6638 at DisgracelandPod to leave me a message. This is the recommendations part, the other recommendations part, the part of the show where we recommend the things that need recommending. You know, what I want to talk about here is Strictly Bourdain. I mean, that seems to be what you guys are really fucking pumped about. And I can't recommend any more Christmas content. We're beyond that. I guess I could recommend some New Year's content. But how much can I actually say about the song New Year's Day by Bono? Uh, besides that's not movies, that's music. What are some great new year's movies? I think I just stumbled onto a question there. 617-906-6638. There's gotta be some great ones besides that dumb rom-com that has like 50,000 people in it. 617-906-6638. What are the new year's and new year's Eve movies that I'm not thinking of? What's the one with, uh, Parker Posey stumbling around the Lower East Side? I vaguely remember that. Hit me up. Let me know. 617-906-6638. Anthony Bourdain content. I just read Medium Raw, which I'd never read before, which is his second book, uh, his second nonfiction book. And it's really interesting. It's obviously great writing. It's Bourdain. It's interesting, though, because it's after he becomes famous. And this is recommended by one of you guys. I can't remember who. I apologize, but I just want to thank you. And it's really illuminating. And it just goes from this, because I read Kitchen Confidential, his first book, for literally the third time before reading Medium Raw in preparation of writing this episode. So I had his exact point of view, just uninterrupted, him coming from this place of just being a hand-to-mouth cook, excuse me, chef, uh, Lehal, I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm sure. You know, a, a functioning, really good chef, but not one of the greats, not by any stretch, and he would tell you that. And again, living uh, hand-to-mouth is probably too harsh, but paycheck to paycheck, in debt, no savings, no health insurance, something you know, early 40s at this point. And he's, uh, he's running a kitchen, running a staff, working his ass off, drinking every night with his staff, if not hammered, then close to it coming home, stumbling into bed, waking up super early and writing his book, which of course became Kitchen Confidential, which of course became a New York Times bestseller, which isn't, you know, that doesn't mean what it used to mean, but it did sell like crazy. 
in terms of actual numbers and then led to his TV show, which led to his stardom. Medium Raw, the book I just finished that I'm recommending to all of you Bourdain heads to read if you have not already, is the book, the nonfiction book that happens after he becomes famous. And he doesn't hold back on the people he meets because of his fame, the other celebrity chefs out there in the world. But he also has a really unique point of view in an adult, grown-up, nuanced point of view on people who he savagely criticized in the earlier book. And I think it's really interesting. And it's also, I'm fascinated by people who, these subjects that we cover, who who go through these wild ups and downs and, and seeing how their perspectives change. It's always interesting to me. And that's sort of why we're all here, the hero's journey, the ups and the downs. You know, I was rich, then I was poor. I was poor, then I was rich. And, and seeing how people deal with this and how they deal with fame and specifically seeing how famous people, successful people deal with dips in their success, deal with those stretches that seem uh, like nothing to us, but are in fact kind of like eternity to them. Even if it's 12 months, 24 months, two, three years without a hit record or without a hit film, you know, and feeling like they got to come back. We think of John Travolta as being this icon, being this guy who's been famous and making great movies forever, but he was in the wilderness for almost an entire decade you know, like making crap movies with talking babies before Quentin Tarantino brought him out of retirement, essentially, or out of the cave, back into mainstream culture. And I think Bourdain never had that. He never fell from the public eye, uh, never really fell from grace either. But you do see him grappling with his fame. And to me, it's just fascinating. So I'm recommending you guys read this book, Medium Raw. I'll have more recommendations on other Bourdain content as we get more into these rap parties in the new year. My voice is quickly getting very, speaking of medium raw, very raw. I'm going to take a quick break, drink some tea, back in a flash to wrap this up. All right, we are back. 617-906-6638 at Disgraceland Pod. That's how you get in touch with me. Let's recap this thing, all right? Number one, The Obvious, our brand new episode on Harrison Ford is available in your feed right now. Go check that out. Number two, next week in Badlands, a brand new episode on Sharon Stone. Number three, over in the Disgraceland feed, we just dropped both parts of our two-part archive episode on the Beach Boys. Number four, call me, 617-906-6638. Keep this Badlands movie conversation going. Number five, I got to split. I got other podcasts to record and I have to return some videotapes. So right now, a second dose of bliss for yours truly in honor of this week's Badlands episode, me reading you the script from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Exterior, Peru, high jungle, day. The dense, lush rainforests of the eastern slopes of the Andes, the place known as the eyebrow of the jungle, ragged, Jutting canyon walls are half hidden by the thick mist. The main title is followed by this, Peru, 1936. A narrow trail across the green face of the canyon. A group of men make their way along it. At the head of the party is an American, Indiana Jones. He wears a short leather jacket, a flapped holster, and a brimmed felt hat with a weird feather stuck in the band. Behind him come two Spanish Peruvians, Bring it. 
talking and start mixing. Cut it!